Well, how's everybody doing this morning? Great, good, good to see all of you. I thought I would talk about something you're probably already thinking about with the snowstorm, with these things up here. It is beginning to look a lot like... Anybody else excited about that? Are you excited about Christmas? Me too. I see all the hands. Now, some of you might be very concerned because some of you, and this is a fun, can we just say this is a fun debate within the church um, to talk about when you should put up Christmas decorations. Some of you have always been under the interpretation that Christmas uh, decorations come after Thanksgiving, okay, you said it, the elephant, amen, someone is, okay, this is a debate, so I thought I would explain, because we, we have some Christmas decorations here, so I thought I would, you might be coming in, who's in charge here, why would they allow Christmas decorations before Thanksgiving, oh my goodness, who's in charge, well, I guess I'm in charge, so I need to explain, I feel, I feel indebted to you to explain that uh, we as Christians, we celebrate things differently than the rest of the world, right? Amen. When it comes to Christmas, like there's there's all kinds of things that our world gets into. A lot of it is like marketing and capitalism. A lot of it is like Santa and reindeer. And we put who at the center? Pop quiz. Who's at the center of Christmas? Jesus. Thank you. Good. And so we as Christians, there's this thing called Advent, which predates the Christmas time. And so we as Christians, we celebrate, we'll be talking uh, between now and uh, Christmas Eve, we'll be talking about Advent, how we hope and wait and expect Christ's return as we celebrate that he has come into our world as one of us. God came into this world as one of us. So one way that the church has been doing this for, for lots and lots of years is to take 40 days before Christmas. So here's, here's my explanation, okay? Are we still good? So here's why the Christmas decorations are up. Because 40 days from Christmas is, is always November 15th. So in my opinion, any time after November 15th, whether Thanksgiving has happened or not, you're allowed to do Christmas decorations, okay? So at least I explained it. You now, thank you. So I, some of you still aren't happy, but just know that I'm right and you're wrong. <laughs> I've been waiting all week to say that. Anyways, uh, next week we will start an Advent Christmas uh, sermon series, but today we're going to conclude our first Timothy sermon series. So if you would, would you turn in your Bibles? There's some in the baskets. Maybe you have an app. We will put it on the screens as well, but we're going to talk about 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 8 through 14, and this is quintessential Paul to Timothy. When I think about 1 Timothy, when I think about 2 Timothy, I think about this little passage here, the ending of 1 Timothy, where Paul says some final advice to Timothy. This wise father, the apostle Paul, has some advice, specific advice to Timothy. And so we're going to look at this passage and talk about five different subjects today. So there's really, some of you are like, Whoa, he always has like one point or three points. A couple Sundays ago, I had two points. Today, guess how many points? Zero. No points today, but five. I know some people are, oh my goodness, uh, five different like topics. And the last one we're going to spend a lot of time on. And before this week, I have never heard a sermon 
on this topic, and it's something we just do in church. If you're like, oh yeah, we do that all the time, but I've never heard a whole sermon on it, so we'll talk about that today. And guess what? Nothing controversial today. Now, I say that because last week and the week before, we had pretty controversial topics. Two weeks ago, we talked about church and politics. Last week, we talked about women in ministry, which is a topic within the church that there is some debate over. So besides the joke about Christmas decorations, today we really don't have too much controversy. We're going to read a passage and talk about it, and I pray you will leave here encouraged. Amen? Amen. All right. Would you stand with me if you are able to read uh, out of respect for the Word of God, 1 Timothy Chapter 4, starting in verse 8, he says, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Everyone say, godliness has value for all things. Godliness has value for all things. And then it says, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Here, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Verse 10. That is why we labor and strive. Why do we labor and strive? Well, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Verse 11, command and teach these things. Verse 12, do not let anyone look down upon you because you are young. All of you that are 30 or younger, don't let anyone look down upon you because you are young. But... Set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love, in faith and in purity. And then he gives some final instructions. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. What, what, what should you devote yourself to? The, the reading of Scripture, the public reading of Scripture. To preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect, neglect the gift that was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders, listen to this, laid their hands on you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Christ is in our midst. Let's pray as we stand. Lord, we, we want godliness. We want to strive for godliness because we've put our hope in you. And Lord, as we look at this passage, these wonderful words of advice from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, Lord, encourage us. Let us strive for godliness. Lord, we pray this in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all God's people shouted, amen, amen. amen. You may be seated. Now, this Part of this scripture begins with uh, physical exercise, physical training. And Paul's just kind of making the point that physical exercise, physical training is of some value. It's of great value, right? If you're talking about our physical bodies, there's really, I mean, thinking through like, well, there's really not much better you can do than to exercise. The exercising helps your physical mind, helps your muscles, helps your bones. It keeps you out of disease. It uh, improves your ability to do everyday tasks, helps you live longer. Exercise is good, right? Right. It's good. Paul's just saying exercise is good. Training is good. But what's even better, Paul says, is godliness. Paul says uh, here in uh, 1 Timothy 4, verse 8, a physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Our physical bodies are just for this life, but there will be a life to come where godliness has value for this life and the life to come. 
So in the same way, this is kind of the first uh, thing I want to tell you from this passage of scripture, is that just in the same way an athlete, uh, someone who's training, would be disciplined and, and work out and exercise in the same way we as Christians are called to godliness, to, to discipline ourselves, to have discipleship, to have accountability, to have times of reading scripture and growing in godliness. Because if you grow in godliness, then that has value for all things this life and the life to come. Amen? So that's already, that's already the first movement of this sermon. And the second one is this. Paul gets into like why we strive. You know, because if, if a pastor gets up, like I'm up here now saying you gotta you know, have a disciplined life, you gotta exercise your faith, you gotta read your Bible, you gotta do this, you gotta do that. Some people could think, well, we have to do that for salvation. And that is not how salvation works. Salvation is by grace. And so what Paul says here, verse 10, if we'll put this on the screen, of why we labor and strive. This is why we labor and strive. Why? Because we have put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all. He's the savior. And we labor, we strive, we discipline our lives and our bodies. Why? Well, because we believe in a savior. We've put our hope in him. Amen? So that's already the second movement. We're already like halfway through this sermon already. Can you believe it? So the third thing is this. Paul tells Timothy, uh, don't let anyone look down upon you because you are young. Verse 12 says that, that exact sentence. Don't let anyone look down upon you because you are young. But then he says, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. We don't know how, exactly how old Timothy is when he gets this letter. Uh, at the beginning of this series, I threw out the guess that maybe he's somewhere in his late 20s, that Paul maybe met Timothy when he was like 15 or 16, and this letter is written maybe uh, 12 to 15 years later after Paul and Timothy had already been working together. So that would put Timothy at maybe 30 years old or younger. And if any of you in here are 30 years old or younger, would you raise your hand? I want to honor you and thank you. Raise, raise your hand high. I'm going to pray a blessing over you. If someone around you has their hand up, would you reach and just put your hand on their shoulder? It might require moving for just a second. But I really want, I, I, I think you need to know that this church is your church, that, that no one should look down upon you because you are young. And so, Lord, I pray a blessing over everyone in here that, that's young, that maybe has looked, been, at least felt like they've been looked down upon Lord, I pray blessings and peace and mercy over them. Lord, would you make them like a tree planted by streams of water, which will yield fruit in season. Lord, we pray over them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, amen. Thanks for being in here, old and young. And if you're young, don't let anyone look down upon you because you're young. So now we're already in. Point one was about godliness. Point two is about grace and faith. Point three, which isn't really a point, just kind of movement, is that don't let anyone look down upon you because you're young. And number four, this directive from Paul to Timothy, he says, until I come, this is verse 13. We'll put this on the screen so you can see it. Until I come, like my most important thing, most of all, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. The reading of scripture, and it's the public reading of scripture because in the ancient world, people did not, I'm sure this is hard for you to believe, but can you imagine a world in which you don't have a phone? 
No, really, can you imagine? Like some of you are like, well, I can't imagine. Uh, You can imagine not having phone, not having scripture on your phone. Imagine not having a Bible. Like we, I was thinking like in our house, we probably have 30 Bibles like in our house. Kids Bibles, toddler Bibles, uh, family Bibles, King James Bibles, message Bibles, NIV Bibles. We have tons of, like think about the world that we live in where scripture is so readily available. In the ancient world, that was not the case. The Bible came in these scrolls and you couldn't just like bring, go home and bring a school. These things were priceless. They were kept in the church. And if you wanted to know the scripture, you had to go and listen to it being read. And so Paul tells Timothy, make sure you're doing this in the church so that people can know scripture. And so while we live in a world where scripture is so readily available, so many Christians, unfortunately, are biblically illiterate. I was looking at some numbers out of the 2 billion Christians in this world, less than 30 of 30% will ever read through the entire Bible and 82% of of American Christians. So most American Christians living in this world today only read their Bible at church on Sundays. And so while it is so readily available, um, we have a lot of Christian uh, biblical illiteracy and Paul is telling Timothy and, and us reading this scripture, I'm telling us today, like this is how we grow in godliness by reading scripture, by b- devoting time to it, by waking up and reading it, by going to sleep and reading it, by memorizing it, by quoting it, by teaching it to our children. Amen? Amen. So here's what I want to say. So we've already gone through four out of the five movements in this sermon, and now we will get to the fifth. Now I will tell you the title of the sermon. Are you ready? It's a very bizarre sermon. If you're like, what's he talking? He's talking about different things. And this is kind of what you get when you read a text of scripture. You get like some jumping around. And then what I want to concentrate on, the title of this sermon is The Laying On of Hands. The Laying On of Hands. Kind of an interesting uh, line where at the end of what Paul is telling Timothy, he says, "Don't, don't forget that this gift was given to you at the laying on of hands. What is the laying on of hands? Well, quite literally, it's just putting your hand on someone and either praying over them or commissioning them or blessing them. You're literally, laying on of hands is just literally putting your hand on somebody. We just did this. Some of you raised your hand. If, if people were quick enough around you, they came over and they put their hand on your shoulder. And this is what the laying on of hands is. Think about it. This is, this is, I think, an important time for this uh, word to be presented to you, for me to be preaching about this, because for a very long time in our recent history, because of COVID and the pandemic, people have had to unlearn, relearn, and then re-relearn some social norms as it comes to like social distancing, right? Like the six feet thing, like shaking hands, like we're not going to shake hands. We're doing the elbows. Anybody do the elbows? Like you have to touch elbows instead of shaking hands. Have we, we kind of like went through this period of time as Americans and the world whereby which we had to relearn some social constructions because there was the threat of the pandemic spreading and spreading too quickly. So I remember the early days of COVID. Does anybody else remember these horrible days? Like going to Safeway and there was no toilet paper. Anybody remember that? And so I remember literally like the week of, we're all watching the news and trying to figure this out. I remember going to Safeway 
And I probably ran into some of you there because you had just bought the toilet paper. There was no toilet paper. And I remember going into Safeway. As I was going in, a homeless man was like, hey, man, you got some money? And I was like, oh, sorry, man. I really felt a burden for him because I'm like, man, I'm, I'm here I am like piling up supplies for my house and he doesn't even have a home to go to. And so I said, man, I, listen, I usually don't give cash out, uh, but, I, but I will go buy you some things. What, what would you like me to buy? And he said, oh, some things I could eat right away without cooking. And he listed some things. I said, that's fine. I'll go get that. And I, I, I saw them in the store. I got our groceries. I got him some things. I had a bag for him. I gave him the bag. Uh, he thanked me. He said, what do you do? He said, I'm a pastor. We got into a little conversation. And then he said, well, man, let me just shake your hand and thank you for, for getting me this stuff. And I was like, uh, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't, this was like my first time of like thinking through, am I going to shake his hand? I said, well, you know, we probably shouldn't shake hands because, you know, one of us at that time, I mean, this is kind of like old, like the first, just have some grace in me. This is like the first week. Okay. So I'm like, ah, we really shouldn't shake hands the germs. You know, we don't want to, you know, I might have COVID or you might have COVID and we don't want to spread it. And we're trying to, we're trying to slow the spread. Remember that saying, we're trying to slow the spread. So, so I, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to shake your hand. He was like, you're not going to shake my hand. And I was like, no, because uh, the germs and this and that. And, and I, but I said, I'll give you, I'll give you an elbow. And so, like, thinking back, like, this is very bizarre. Like, if I'm shaking someone's hand, if I'm, sh- let's, Scott, let's shake hands, we're like, how, how far are our faces? Like, five feet? But, but now, knowing now that, like, COVID is spread, like, through the lungs, uh, if we go to give each other elbows, it's like we're, <laughs> so, so I say all that to say, like, I, I make fun of myself now that here I am, like, giving elbows to, the per- like, a homeless guy in a parking lot. And so we had to, all that to say, we had to, unlearn some social things and then we had to like relearn what we're going to do and now all that to say like I think we're in a place where this sermon like we need to lay hands on each other and I'm going to I'm going to say why through through this sermon but I think that this this touch like hugging handshaking that has been absent in our society for quite a long time now don't you think like like before like like we used to hug each other we used to hug, and now it's like or is it okay to hug you? Like, you almost have to ask permission. Are we shaking hands? Are you okay with shaking hands? I'm okay with shaking hands, but are you okay? I don't want to do anything to make you feel like uncomfortable shaking hands or hugging. So it's like we've had to relearn this stuff. And I think touching, hugging, handshaking, laying on of hands, there's something spiritual about that. There's something holy about that. There's something very important about that. I remember taking uh, psychology classes. Psychology 101 was one of my favorite classes as a freshman in college. And I went in and there's like 300 students and the lecturer was just wonderful, brought us through Psychology 101. It was all new to me. And I remember learning about baby development and learning that the touch is the most important thing for a baby and the baby's development. You have to hold you have to touch the baby. And there's horrible experiments done on babies that weren't touched or neglect situations where babies weren't touched. And the, the, it's just horrible. They, they're not, uh, they don't develop like they should. Touch is important. And we see this in Scripture with the laying on of hands. There's a commissioning that happens with the laying on of hands. Look at Numbers, the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. This is the commissioning of Joshua when, when Moses commissions Joshua. So when Moses, his time is coming to an end in life, he commissions Joshua to take his place. The Lord has a way in which he wants this to be done. So the Lord said to Moses, 
Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man is in whom is the spirit of leadership and, what's it say? And lay your hand on him. This is how you are to commission him. It goes on to say, have him stand before Eleazar, the priest, the entire assembly. Commission him in their presence. Give him some of your authority so that the whole Israelite community will obey him. So this commissioning uh, ceremony, this, you could just say, oh, it's a symbol of, of Moses relaying leadership was done with what? The laying on of, of a hand, like putting his hand on a shoulder or head, like this is how it was done. And it, it seems like there's more than just a symbol going on here. If you look at, uh, it's, a, it's a big chunk of scripture. You don't have to go there. Uh, I'll just put up a picture. We have a picture, a Rembrandt painting of this scene. This is chapter 48 of Genesis where Jacob is in bed. Jacob, a.k.a. Israel, is in bed. And right to his right is Joseph. To his left, uh, to, uh, to his left the, the woman standing there, that's the mom. That's uh, Joseph's wife. And do you see in the bed two little boys? This is the blessing of Ephraim and Manasseh, where uh, Ephraim is the younger son. Manasseh is the older. Manasseh is brought to the right-hand side of Jacob for this blessing. And what does Jacob do? Do you know this story? He crosses his hands and blesses the younger one with his right hand. And Joseph is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Dad, dad, wait. This one is the, the, the youngest. This one is the oldest. And Jacob says, Yes, I know. I'm going to bless the younger one here in this situation. But it's not just a symbol. Like there's some legal ramifications. There's inheritance ramifications. There's spiritual ramifications to this act of the laying on of hands. We see this throughout the Bible. If you're looking for it, it's all over the place. In the New Testament, like someone gets a job. Stephen is, is put in charge of like some uh, distribution of food for the widows. And what do the other apostles do? They go, they lay their hands on Stephen and then give him this job. We at New Life Church, when we all get together as far as um, uh, staff, so all the congregations, New Life staff gets together. We pray over the new pastors. We have a process by which uh, someone can become a pastor. And when we ordain them, when we license them, we all get together. The pastors all come forward and we lay hands. We just did this last week. We lay hands on someone and we commission them for the work of being a pastor. Before we planted New Life Manitou Springs, I was brought before the elders and the pastors of New Life Church and a blessing, hands were laid upon me and a blessing, a commissioning was prayed over me with people just with their hands on my shoulder and my head. This is what we do as a church. We lay hands on people, not just for commissioning, but also for uh, praying blessings and bestowing gifts upon people. Look at Deuteronomy 34.9. Deuteronomy 34.9 is kind of the retelling of the scene where Moses blesses uh, Joshua. And it says this, Joshua, son, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom. So he's filled with this gift from God, filled with the spirit of wisdom. Why? Well, because Moses had laid his hands upon him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. So it's just this little piece of, like, well, this is interesting. Like, not only was Joshua commissioned, but he was also given this gift, a spirit of wisdom, when hands were laid upon him. 
Let me show you a longer piece of scripture here in the book of Acts, and then we'll wrap this sermon up. The book of Acts chapter 8 is the scene where Peter and John pray over some new believers. And there's this guy there, you'll see him in a second, Simon the sorcerer, who is like, uh, like a fortune teller kind of guy. Like he's getting money for doing spiritual things in the city. We'll get to that. So here's Acts chapter 8. So the book of Acts New Testament, don't let me lose you here. I know we're jumping around with scriptures here, but this is the New Testament. We're about to see this scene where Peter and John pray over some new believers. It says this, the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God. They sent Peter and John, those are the disciples of Jesus, Peter and John, to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So they've believed and they've been baptized because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John, what's it say they do? They placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And then here's this, this guy, Simon Sorcerer. When Simon saw, so Simon sees something, like the Holy Spirit is received, and whether they prophesied, whether they spoke in tongues, maybe they started singing, maybe they started dancing, maybe they started somehow acting, their countenance was changed. They received the Holy Spirit. Simon saw this, that it was given, the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands. He offered them money. I always wonder, like, how much did he have on him? Like, how much money? Was it like 100 bucks? Was it like 20 bucks? He just offered money that he might, like, buy this power, which is ridiculous. And he said, give me this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands might receive the Holy Spirit. And then Peter, hearing this, rebukes him. May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. It doesn't come with money. Like this gift that we have to lay our hands on people doesn't come with money. It's not a fortune telling kind of thing. This is a gift of God. And isn't it wonderful? Isn't it beautiful that God works miracles on someone else's life because we are faithful to put our hand on them and to pray? Think about this. I mean, break this whole thing down for just a minute. Like the Lord wants to give you a gift and maybe it won't happen until someone comes into your life and prays and then lays their hand upon you. Have you thought about this? And that you, you in this room, could be tasked with the, the, the gift of laying your hand on someone else and God blessing this person. Because here's what it says. This is the last scripture for this morning. Mark 16, 17, some of the last words of the gospel of Mark. Jesus says, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hand. When they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. And then this, they will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Amen? I remember um, I was a part of the college and young adults ministry for many years at New Life North, and uh, I would always be at the, the front of the altar after the service praying for people like, like we do here, uh, praying for people. One time, this, this rough-looking dude came forward for prayer, and he said, I'm really trying to get my life in order. I just got out of prison this week, and I would like for you to pray for me that, that, that I just I get on the right path, and I make good friends, and I start following Jesus. I found Jesus in prison, but I, I just really want to follow him. And, and so he came forward, and I went to put my hand upon him, 
And he, he, whoa, whoa, he freaked out. He's like, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? And I said, oh, oh. Uh, and then I thought, he just told me he's out of prison. Like, I gotta just slow down as I'm putting my hand on someone that says they're just out of prison. And I said, oh, well, it's, a, it's what we do as Christians. We, we lay our hand on people and the Lord somehow works through this mystery of placing our hands upon people. And he said, oh, oh, okay. Well, well, then put both of your hands on me. And he knelt down. I put my hands upon him. And he started weeping. Like, think about, like, someone who is in prison. Like, when someone touches you in prison, like, they probably don't mean good for you. And so here he had been. I don't know how long he was in prison. But he had longed for that. He had needed that. He's weeping, thinking about the, the gift of God being bestowed, like, through me, the servant who's just at the altar praying for him. I think some of the saddest COVID stories, like going back to the, that time when there was uh, the, the total lockdown, and for, for some hospitals and nursing homes, that lasted a really long time. I think of some of the saddest stories were, were when families had to say goodbye to a loved one, a spouse, grandparents, parents, and they weren't allowed to go to the nursing home or to the hospital, and there was this interchange with like uh, a video conferencing call where they're like, they know that they're saying goodbye, or the, the person is in a coma, and they're speaking through the phone, just saying, you know, things over them without being there in the room. Like we, there's things in our recent history as Americans where we, we, we regret that. We would say, that was, that's the tragedy, because why? Well, because touch is so important, because proximity is so important. And isn't it beautiful, isn't it amazing that God uses us to touch people and his power works through us like just this simple act of putting our hand on someone's shoulder. A couple of weeks ago, we started a new tradition in our house. My wife and I, we have four boys and every night before bed, we read a psalm, then we read a little Devo thing, and then uh, we pray. And then a couple weeks ago, we started, like, let's, let's pick one boy uh, or one person and pray over them. And so they sit in the middle, and we put our hands on their head or shoulders, and we just pray a quick blessing over that one boy. And the, the kids love it. They're like, Dad, can you pray over, like, Max? It's 6 a.m., so we don't do the bedtime routine until that night, like 11, 12 hours later, and so, uh, 12, 13 hours later. And so at 6 a.m., the first thing out of his mouth, Dad, can you pray over me today? I was like, yes, yeah, we will. We'll pray over you today. Waking up, thinking, longing to be prayed over. This, the parents, don't miss this, like to pray over your kids. Christians in this room, don't miss this, that the simple act of laying your hand on someone and praying them bestows God's blessing, commissioning, bestows his gifts, it bestows his mercy and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So we're gonna do today, we're gonna close as we always do. We're gonna receive communion. We're gonna sing one last song. And then at the end, like at the end of every service, uh, I've asked a couple people, uh, use more than normal, to come forward and just be ready to put hands on shoulders and pray a 30-second blessing over anybody that wants to come forward. So would you stand with me this morning? I'm gonna pray over all of us. Then I'm gonna lead us to the table. The band can come up and, and get ready for the last song. Uh, let me close right now in prayer, and then, and then I'll tell you how we'll do communion. Lord, we come to you right now. And Lord, I, I want to thank you that all of us in this room have this gift, this ability to, to lay our hands upon people and see them get well in every way. That, Lord, you act 
and you give us this power to put our hands on people, to, to see them get well by your work, by your mercy. So Lord, we give you the, our, our hands. Lord, we give you this time. And we come before you now to the table knowing that it's you inside of us that works for your good on this earth. And Lord, we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I want to invite you. There's, there's baskets uh, by where you're sitting, and we, we celebrate an open table. So if you're new to New Life Manitou, know that everyone in here, if you believe in Jesus, you're invited to receive from the cup and the bread with all of us in here. So I invite you to get out the, the bread as you find these cups. There's a bread on the top. And Jesus said he's the bread of life. He says, do this in, in remembrance of me. He says that, that when you meet and gather together, that his body was broken for us. And so if you hold the bread and look at it, you could break it in your fingers because Christ said his body was broken for us. And so it's in this that we believe and we now receive the bread of life. Let's receive it together. Jesus also took a cup on the night he was betrayed his last night with his friends, his disciples. He, he ate bread and then took a cup and said that this cup is a mystery of a new covenant. Blood shed, his blood shed for us. And so we receive this cup in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So Lord, as we sing this one last song, Lord, we pray to you. We thank you that you've been faithful our whole lives. You're faithful now to us, that all of our lives, Lord, you have been faithful. So Lord, we sing this song and we praise your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.